an American businessman went to Mexico uh, for work, and uh, he was staying in a hotel on the 10th floor when the fire broke out. And the other engineers on the 10th floor uh, joined him in one room, and they uh, called the fire truck, and the fire truck only had a ladder that went up to the 6th floor. And so as this Mexican businessman and the American businessman were looking out the window, the fire truck, pull, fire truck pulled up, and uh, they, see that they saw they couldn't reach that high, so they said to the guys, you're going to have to jump. You're going to have to jump. And so they brought out this big, round uh, trampoline thing to catch the guys when they would jump. And so the American businessman and the Mexican guy are saying, well, who's going to go first? We're going to have to jump. This fire is getting closer and closer. And so let's flip the coin. So they flipped the coin. The Mexican uh, lost. And so he says, you have to go first. And so they brought out this round uh, net thing. And, uh, and so they say, Brinkense, Brinkense, jump, jump. You have to jump. And so finally the Mexican guy jumped out the window, and as they jumped out the window, the fireman goes, Olay! <laughs> Splat. The Americans down there looking at this, I said, whoa. And so they said, jump, jump, jump. And the American says, no way. You put that thing on the ground. <laughs> you want to hit the target. Our target today that we want to hit is, uh, is something that we want to get into the book of Acts. Uh, I don't want you to miss this. Our target in this study is to understand that the book of Acts, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. I would rename it, I'd say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And as we get into today's uh, topic, I want to look at the book of Acts to share with you a couple things about reading the scriptures and to, to be uh, considering how God's spirit is at work in the heart of each individual as you come across in this text. But as you read, you, real, you realize that uh, this happened 2,000 years ago. It really happened. And if you were there, you would have heard the screams. You would have heard the violent anger uh, coming out of the, the people who were stoning Stephen. If you were there, you would have heard the rocks hit the body of Stephen, and you would have heard uh, the cries of the apostles in their prayers. It really happened. And yet, as you get into this book, to think that as we read it from 2,000 years, to, to look at this book as though... It were a calendar of events, a sequence of things that God has done along the way, and he checked them off. As, uh, as you read this, they're just kind of stories. Or it's, liking, it's like watching a project manager go to a site and figure out the design, and this is what's supposed to happen stage by stage. What you're having unfolded before you is God's work in time, in people's lives and that spirit that was at work then is still at work today and so I wanted to share with you a couple of thoughts uh, from the passage to help us reread the passage in order to understand how we can realign ourselves with what God's doing Jeremiah 110 
Jeremiah 1.10, as we talked about in Sunday school, says to those unfaithful, unfaithful, disobedient uh, people in Israel that were, were about ready to be deported to Babylon, Jeremiah gets the word and he, and he says, the Lord stretched out his hand and he touched my mouth and he said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth and I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And the idea there that God said to Jeremiah I'm going to have you do some gardening and I want you to uproot. I want you to pull out. I want you to, to tear down. I want you to destroy. And when this work is done, I'm going to build up. And so Jeremiah had a, had a call and a word from God and yet the call was um, even before we get to the New Testament, God was at work He's always been at work. From the beginning of Genesis, you see Jack out of the box. The Spirit of God was moving over the face of the world to take that which is ugly, dark, void, empty, and to create it into something beautiful. That's what the Spirit of God does. But to get to that route, you have to understand that there's a whole history that's being played out before us. Pastors, scholars, and theologians like F.F. F. Bruce or James Dunn have written, how about that New Testament, that expansion of the growth in the church was a wonderful time when God poured out his spirit upon all mankind, men and women, slaves and free men. But after Christ died on the cross and then after he rose from the dead and after Pentecost had come, in the book of Acts, about Acts 7, you are two years out. So you're 35 A.D. And the, the intensity of what's happening here is really, really amazing. And the course of change that's taking place is just a phenomenal one because we've just shifted from before Christ, B.C., to A.D. This is the year of the Lord. This is the time when the kingdom of God has cosmically changed because God has entered into the world. And throughout this world, the history that he is writing in every corner of the world is where the Spirit of God is moving in the hearts of nations and individuals. We understand that starting in Jerusalem, the call for the Jewish nation to come to Christ as a called people, God began with the Jews, but now he's, he's learning, they are learning that God is interested in more than the Jews, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we understand that God is not willing that any of these nations should perish, but that all nations, all nations, would stop worshiping pagan idols, would stop worshiping and sacrificing babies on and, and pyres to, uh, for children to sacrifice, to be sacrificed to please their gods. The Incas, the Aztecs, the Moloch, uh, the pagans, all across, God says, this is not, this is not, this is not me. God's not willing to per that any should perish, but he's not slow concerning his promise. But his promise is sure, 
and the promise was revealed in Christ, we know, and that promise is now moving out from Jerusalem. But make no mistake that this promise is marked on the calendar as is every date in history until the final night comes or the day of the Lord comes, which will be like a thief in the night, when history will itself be terminated. That's what God started. He started a story and he's writing it. And the target that he's going for, the goal is to bring men and women from all nations to learn who he is and to get the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We understand that. This is what God started in the book of Acts because he's moving out of Jerusalem and Jerusalem had to shift the focus because the Spirit of God is not locked into or constrained by a Jewish form of thinking about God. But no point in history is as exciting as this part, but I want you to feel the tension because there's real tension. And I think as you get into this book, you, you may not understand that there is a time for everything. And that God is at work in your lives and my life to do the, what he's always done, to do what he always does, is to reveal himself, to redeem us, and then to restore us. But that means God breaks into our history. God breaks into our time, and he does a miracle. Miracles, said C.S. Lewis, tell us that something has occurred that cannot be explained by the normal course of science and what Lewis called an interference with nature by a supernatural power. Now, some people would say that's not really, God isn't like that. But because they don't know who the God that they're speaking about, because the God we talk about is a God that does miracles. And so when you look at the Christmas season that's coming up, the incarnation of Christ, Christ was born as a miracle birth, the incarnation that God would become man and dwell among us. The fact that, that we would be baptized into Christ is a miracle. The fact that you're here on Sunday morning listening to the Word of God is a miracle because you could be out doing something else. Something has happened inside of you that makes you interested in spiritual things. God has given you life and called you and you responded because you've been baptized in Christ. And the mystery, the fact that Christ dwells in you the hope of glory. There's something different about Christians because you have an answer. You have a faith. You have a hope. And you've got a God that loves incredibly. And so at the beginning of this book, the story is written how this spirit is going to give his people power to witness and experience and testify that the God of history is not just a God of history, he's a God of my history. To believe that Jesus Christ died is history. But to believe that Jesus Christ died for me is salvation. And there's a difference there. But you understand that this salvation is what the word says, that it's been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He destroys death. And he's brought life and immortality uh, to light through the gospel. 
And this is what Paul understood. This is what Paul came to understand. But at the time of this writing, Paul certainly did not understand that. Paul would write later that what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, so that we might understand the gifts given to us by God. And I will tell you that what what the Spirit of God did for Stephen, the law could not do for Paul. What the Spirit of God will do for you, religion cannot do for anybody else. For we we are in a different age, a different time where we are meeting God face to face in a very personal relationship. God is not interested, I said last week, in your religion. God is not interested in your rituals. God is not interested in the performance that we do. God is interested in us. And therefore, he is not going to stop until he gets all of us. And yet, there's a real problem here. But let me go on. There is a, an Italian theologian, Giacchino de Fiore. In the Latin, it's Joachim de Fiore. 885 years ago or so. Now, this is 800 years. Think about this. He came up with this theory, thinking, thinking about God, how God works in time. And what he said was that there are three stages as he looked at history, that there's a stage of the Old Testament where God is Father, the Creator, is revealing himself as God in the Old Testament, and that's the age of God the Father. Then there's the age in the New Testament where Jesus comes, and the life and ministry of Jesus is, is presented to us, and it becomes the age of the Son. And the third age is the current present age, where after Christ and from this book on, it becomes the age of the Spirit. And you will hear people today say, I'm not interested in organized religion, but I'm interested in spirituality, whatever that means. But the idea that the language has shifted from, from reason or intellectual or belief or philosophy to there's a spiritual faith, a, a belief, there's a shift that's taken place in history. Phyllis Tickle, in, in her book, The Age of the Spirit, says a thousand years ago, the church got into a fight, and the fight was about the Holy Spirit. And because they didn't understand how the Spirit of God, they, they split. They didn't understand how God uh, worked through the Spirit. And so one group said that the Father sent the Spirit, and another group says, no, Jesus sent the Spirit. And because of that argument, the East and the West Christianity split because they didn't understand. Well, that's kind of a silly thing. But but the idea is that you can split and have different perspectives because you're reading the scriptures in a different way. But make no mistake, if I put it in my terms, I know these three things about the Trinity. That God the Father reveals, Jesus Christ redeems, and the Holy Spirit restores. And to the degree that you understand and believe those three things, to, to the degree that you 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 respond to those three things at the core of your being, it shapes everything about you. Because this is the story that God is writing from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the book of Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk says, 
Look among the nations and observe. Watch. Look. And be utterly amazed. For I am doing a work in your day, in your days, that if that you would not believe it, even if you were told. Now this is the Old Testament prophesying about the coming of Christ to turn to the nations and bring redemption beyond Israel. Well, this is what's caught up here in the book of Acts. And what I want you to hear is this. As you read this book, you're going to come to the New Testament with a certain presupposition, a certain spirit, a certain assumption that who is God and how does God work? And if you come to this book in particular as a book of Acts, you say, well, that's not really true. It's a nice story. It's a Jewish myth. But the idea is that you're going to come to the Scriptures, and the way a lot of people come to the Scriptures is that they come to the Scriptures where they look down on the Scriptures, and my opinion is really what I believe about the Scriptures. That's not for us as believers. What we want to do is take our opinion and bring it this way, that we surrender, we submit to the authority of this revelation. And this becomes the way we read the Scriptures. But the idea that you come to the Scriptures to understand what God's doing in human history, you come to the Scriptures to understand what God is doing in your history with certain presuppositions. And so the question is, how do you read the Scriptures? How does it seem to you? How do you, how do you interpret when you, when you come and you sit down on a Tuesday afternoon or Thursday morning and you get your tea or coffee out and you're sitting there and you read a text that's 2,000 years old, how does the Spirit of God work to get you into this thing to say, okay, this is taking me back up to you? A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people don't even read Scripture because they don't think it's really worth reading. That was the thing about the German Lothar Schmidt. He would come to me and he'd say, he put his finger in my chest. He said, you Christians are crazy. I don't understand you guys. A smart man, he said, we Europeans know why we don't believe. And you Christians don't know why you do. You think this is the word of God, but you don't read it. And over and over and over again, Lothar would meet Christians who would not know the scriptures. Well, What's our attitude? Many people have this attitude. Albert Schweitzer had an attitude. His attitude towards Scripture was, and he said this, I couldn't believe it when I read it. He says, the apocalyptic movement at the time of Jesus is not connected with any historical event. In other words, in looking for the historical Jesus, the quest, he said, you can't read the Bible literally historically, as being a, a, a good history. Because that's not what it's about. And we have to learn that this new Jerusalem, this new, whatever you read is kind of a symbol, and an image of the truth, but it is not true. And therefore his attitude is that you've you got to read this, but don't take it so serious. Well, that's not what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah, <clears throat> Jeremiah, when he got the prophecy that God is going to discipline Israel through, through the, the, the movement to Babylon, Jeremiah says, your words were found and I did eat them. And your word, 
they, they were the, your words were the joy and my heart's delight. Wow. David only had the first five books of the Pentateuch. He says, thy law I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. But the law, that law is like honey. I love the word. So David and Jeremiah, they understood what Jesus would say later on, that man shall not live by bread alone. Life is not just physical. Life is not emotional. Life is not just uh, behavioral. Life is spiritual at the core. But if you eat my word, if you abide in my word, you'll have life. Well, when you read the Bible like that, it's different. But too often, we read the book of Acts like a series of events, but it's not, and hear me, this is not to be read like a biography. It's not to be read as an ancient novel. It's not to be read as a scientific, archaeological proof of ancient history. Because as you read this book, you're going to find there's all kinds of gaps and holes. But if you can't read it as if it's this personal story of Harriet Tubman, because that, that's a story about redemption, isn't it? Kind of. So maybe we can use this modern story that's just as good as uh, any personal conflict or trauma that you go through like Sally Fields did. And she wrote her biography. These are biographies, full-blown biographies. And re recently Elton John came out with his. When you want to learn about a person's life story, don't read the Bible. That's kind of strange to say, isn't it? But, but the idea is that when you read Luke, when you read Luke, these stories are, are not biographies. They're not, they're not history reports that are just complete. They're not legal cases or briefs. They're, they're, they're snapshots of a narrative that God is doing. Matthew and Mark, they write differently for different purposes. Matthew and Luke talk about the sayings of Jesus. Mark talks about the deeds of Jesus. He went there and he did this. Immediately he went there and he did this. So there are different authors writing different things. And then Luke comes and rearranges Mark. He edits and puts them in a chronological order so that you can read Luke Acts together. But when you read this book, you have to read it with a certain attitude and spirit that the spirit with which you approach the book is opening up your own life to say, Lord, speak to me, because this is happening then, and it can happen now. And therefore, you meet God in the text, and God meets you in your heart. So what you read here, you apply here, and when the Word of God gets into the child of God, the Spirit of God makes him into a man or woman of God. And that's how it works. We are not interested in just information. We are interested in transformation. We're not interested in knowing the Bible. We're interested in knowing the author of the Bible. And that's why Allison read, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but these bear witness of me. And sometimes reading the scriptures, you don't see God, you don't see Jesus, and you don't see the Holy Spirit. We don't want edification. We, we don't, sorry, we don't want education. We want edification. We want to grow to know 
what our faith is so that our hope is real, not just because it's our opinion, not because it's our faith, because this is what God has revealed. And this is what Jesus redeems. And this is what the Spirit restores. So there's an entirely different attitude when you come to the book of Acts to read it. The gospel is not a Jewish myth, a cultural myth to be told around the world as the Italians or, or the Japanese have their stories. No, no. Don't understand that this book that you have is a book of the kingdom. It's a truth narrative for Jews and Gentiles throughout all history in all corners of the world. But Paul would say to the Jew first and then to the Greeks. There is a movement taking place and I want you to get this so that you don't miss the target. That spirit is still at work. He's still uprooting He's still tearing down. He's still destroying. In order to build up, he's got to break down certain things because you're talking about a narrative, not a biography, not in a story. You're talking about an oral tradition that people from all over the, the Jerusalem came to understand. What was the meaning of this death on the cross? What was the meaning of this resurrection? They didn't understand about the Holy Spirit until they grew into the, the movement of the church. And that's what's taking place in the book of Acts. The word redemption. You are redeemed from the feudal way of living, from a, from a vanity of vanities, to nothing new under the earth, to being introduced to the kingdom that goes above the sun. Because the sun came down and now has interfered, interrupted, and, and brought into existence that which never existed before. Forgiveness. Not based on your rituals. Forgiveness based on a relationship with one who says to you, you are forgiven. It's a face-to-face -face promise. And if Jesus has never said that to you, and you don't understand that Jesus is saying to you, you are mine. I love you. Follow me. It's a relational invitation, not an information set, not a belief system that you have to defend. It's a personal encounter with the living Lord. And he's telling you what he's done for you. And that's what Christ does. The Spirit of God then comes in and takes everything that Jesus says and it's going to guide us into that truth. And if we stay in that truth, then we become changed men and women. We are restored. And that's why Paul would say to the Corinthians, this is not just a belief system. You are our letter, known and read by all men. But this letter, that what's happening in your heart is that the Spirit of God is working in you as he worked in Stephen, as he worked in Philip, as he worked in all those New Testament believers. This is what God does. He gets into our heart. And therefore, that trinity, that truth, that what God does is for you. What Jesus did is for you. And what the Spirit of God does is for you. And so, believer, stand up in what you understand. Stand on the promises that he has given to you. 
This is the book of Acts that moves people out. And therefore, by showing that you are the letter of Christ among all men in any corner of the world, he's made us competent, powerful as ministers of the new covenant. But he's not of the letter of the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The problem here in Acts 6 and 7, two chapters of another confrontation, another clash of orthodoxies, is that this prejudiced Pharisee, he could not see what Jesus saw. This prejudiced Pharisee, this biased unbeliever, would not allow for God to be at work. And therefore, he had stiff-armed God because he had a stiff-necked heart. Does that sound right? But there's resistance to the Holy Spirit, and there isn't going to be a realignment because he's misreading as Paul misread Stephen. And again, what the Spirit of God did for Stephen, that law would never do for Paul. And therefore, you get into these assumptions. We are Jewish. We're children of Abraham. We have our traditions. We have our Torah. We have our culture. The same for us as Americans. We have our gods. We worship money. We worship freedom. We worship our own individual rights. We have our assumptions that God says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to come in and I'm going to go into the very heart. If If I'm here to reveal, redeem, and restore, I've got to get into the world that you live in. And he did. Those assumptions become our attitudes. And those attitudes become the very things we talk about and we affirm publicly. And that becomes the way we take action. And certainly, certainly, this is what takes place when Stephen is stoned. Because Stephen did something that Peter didn't do. Stephen crossed the line. Peter was witnessing to Christ. They put him to jail. Peter and John but not Stephen. If you look at the messages between these two, Peter, Peter's message was very much biblical in an Old Testament orientation, as was Stephen's. But Peter would say, uh, this is God's promise, and you disowned the Messiah, and you allowed him to be murdered by, uh, by those Romans, and, and, and you, you've rejected the, the Messiah. But, Peter would say, God raised him from the dead, And Peter points, that's what Moses was talking about. Peter said the same thing as Stephen said. Except Stephen said, yes, this is God's promise given to Abraham. He would identify everything with the Jewish folks. And then he would say, instead of rejecting the Christ, Peter said, you reject the Holy Spirit. This man is God in the flesh. And they couldn't take it. And Stephen said, God was with him, this man. And their assumptions were, this is blasphemy. He speaks against the temple. He was right to speak against the temple. Because what Peter was saying was, this Jesus is out to destroy and create a whole new kingdom that hasn't anything to do with your temple performance, your temple rituals. And so before the temple, uh, 
Before there was even a temple, the relationship was there. Before there was a temple, God was with Abraham. Before there was a temple, uh, Joseph was in Egypt. Before there was a temple, Moses. Before there was a temple, before this thing that you hold on to that you think is so important, God says there's something greater than the temple here. And yet as Christians in America, I say the same thing. When the glory of the Lord left the temple, the Jewish people didn't know it. The Spirit of God left that temple. Go back and read Ezekiel. And the people had no idea. They kept doing the rituals. Well, to get you into this mode of thinking, to get the tension, the feel, I, I, don't, I can't come up with any other description except to say, imagine if somebody were to take our Constitution and tear it apart. That's the feel that creates this animosity, this invective, this rage that says, we're not going to go to the courts, we're not going to go to the council, we're going to pick up stones and stone them right here. And they did that with Stephen. This temple then, Stephen says, this is a cult and this temple is blocking your relationship. You won't understand the Spirit because you're so committed to this temple. And that's why they couldn't hear. They couldn't understand. They were locked into their thinking. Now, with that being so threatening, they're not people walking by the Spirit. They're people walking by their own convictions of the temple. These ages, if this is what the Spirit of God was doing, can you imagine what's going on in the mind of the Spirit when, they, when he sees Stephen being stoned? What's going on in the mind of the Spirit when he sees the Pharisees stoning? What's going on in Paul's mind as he sees Stephen dying? I just want to say this. That same Spirit would be at work if those Pharisees would have been open to the work of the Spirit, there would have been another Pentecost movement. Another 3,000 people could have been added. But instead of an open heart, they were closed. Instead of open, they were rejecting and resisting Christ. And for us, it's the same issue. Are there things that are blocking you and me from hearing the Spirit of God? Yes! Yes, there are. Could you identify them? And can you say God has removed these blocks so I can get closer to God? Can you say that? Sure you can. If you're open to listen to the Spirit. And so I'm going to just close with this one and continue next week. How do you do that? Well, lots of reasons. Lots of ways. In worship. In song. In a sermon. As you spend time with the Bible. As you're, it's not about the experiences you go through or the rituals you do it's about your attitude as you go through them so as you listen to people share their fellowship stories the circumstances they are in are you listening for the spirit oh brothers sisters i hope you have three years one to hear what the other person's saying two to hear what you're thinking but three to hear what god's saying if you're open to the spirit from parents and kids, and you understand that God's Spirit wants you to have an open heart, a changed heart, 
a transformed heart. That's what he does if you listen. And if you listen, then you can rest. If you can rest, then you know that you're growing and you're following, you're keeping in step. I want you to hear this because that's the target I don't want you to miss. He's doing that today. If you seek him and him seeking you, the Spirit of God still does what he did for Stephen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're not done doing your work. Thank you that you know exactly what we need to take the next step. So, Father, we put our faith in you. We turn our hearts to you, and we want to be open people. Say, please, Father, draw us. Help us read the scriptures to understand your heart. Now, Father, give us that grace that we know that we're forgiven, that we can rest and grow in you, in that grace that's ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.